And welcome to another mini-episode of Coaster Kings Radio. This is Ian O'Donnell. This week we're in part 7 of our 10-part series, Lost Coasters of California. Today's subject, Windjammer Surf Racers. Today's roller coaster landscape is becoming increasingly international. With the rise of streaming video, social media, and even Google Translate, the coaster enthusiast community and industry is more connected than it ever has been. With the recent rise of Chinese theme parks and Chinese ride manufacturers, it's easy to forget a time when Japan seemed second only to the United States as a thrill ride destination. And the undisputed king of Japanese coaster manufacturers was Togo. And if you want to know, Togo is short for a Japanese name. Go to my article on the Coaster Kings to read that, uh, what that fully is, because I'm not going to try to pronounce that. Togo, Togo opened their first roller coaster in 1953 at Haneyashiki Park in Tokyo. And it actually remains the oldest operational roller coaster in all of Japan. And soon after that success, they began building rides all over Japan, including flats, dark rides, you name it, Togo made it. In 1983, their stand-up coaster model was opened at King's Island as King Cobra, bringing Togo to North America. Over the next two decades, Togo Togo would try to capitalize on the success and expand it to North American and European market. In this kind of goal, they would eventually open a subsidiary named Togo International, headquartered in Middletown, Ohio. While there was some success, an ill-fated 1997 project at Knott's Berry Farm would mark the end of Togo's presence as a leader in the coaster world. Knott's Berry Farm has had a long-standing presence in Southern California, dating back to the 1920s. The 1975 edition of Corkscrew, which I discussed in part one of this series, brought Knott's to the forefront of the thrill world. The Knotts family continued to, thrill, to add thrill editions the following year, with Motorcycle Chase opening in 1976. This four-track aero development steeplechase coaster featured motorcycle-themed trains that raced around single, a single-rail course. Due to safety concerns, people literally sat on top of the motorcycles like they were riding them with a small belt holding them in place. The entire ride would be rethemed and a little bit retracked to wappy, wacky soapbox racers for the 1980 season, and given a cartoony soapbox racing theme. This attraction proved to be wildly popular with families and children. In 1990, Corkscrew was replaced with Boomerang, and the area which held both these rides had a 1920s theme, if you'll recall from part one, and that theme started to become weaker and weaker. It was obvious that the entire Roaring Twenties part of Knott's Berry Farm needed to be revitalized. And multiple themes were proposed, but eventually an extreme sports surf theme was applied and the area was rechristened to the Boardwalk for the 1996 season. Wacky soapbox racers did not fit this new area, and plans were already in place to replace it with a major thrill ride. Knott's has long fallen in a kind of weird place in the Southern California market, Not as family and theme-oriented as nearby Disneyland, but also far from the thrill capital megapolis that is Magic Mountain. The Knotts family chose to lean into this in-between space for much of the park's history, the most prominent example being the large-scale but family-focused zero coaster, Jaguar. For their next major addition, they decided to continue in this vein while keeping the popular racing element of wacky soapbox racers. 
Knott's envisioned a large-scale racing coaster that would provide thrills the whole family could enjoy. Due to the space constraints, a creative and compact layout was required, and Knott's presented the proposed layout to multiple coaster manufacturers. Togo won the contract, as this compact looping layout seemed to perfectly in line with a series of looping wild mouse coasters the company had been building in Japan since the 1980s. Windjammer Surf Racers opened in 1997, expanding the boardwalk with a lagoon and several other beach-themed elements. The ride consisted of a yellow and red track, which climbed a side-by-side -side chain lift, reaching a maximum height of 69 feet, or tw um, 21 meters, before taking a right-hand turn into, vertical, into a vertical drop, where the ride reached its maximum speed of 40 miles per hour, or 64 kilometers per hour. This drop was directly followed by side-by-side -side vertical loops, before the track split into a series of turns and small dips. The finale of the ride saw both tracks rejoin for a helix around a gazebo-shaped structure designed to provide a tornado-like effect to riders. Knott's heavily marketed the ride as the world's first major outdoor dual-tracked steel looping coaster. A lot of qualifiers needed for that, but it, they marketed the heck out of it. On paper, it seemed the perfect family attraction, providing a family-friendly looping coaster experience absent from the park since Corkscrew's departure, and truthfully absent from Orange County until California Screamin's opening a few years later. The public's reaction was mixed. It didn't fulfill the promise of a major thrill ride, and its meandering layout provided little in terms of thrills, airtime, or anything kind of that coaster enthusiasts are looking for. The ride was also noticeably uncomfortable, with both the tracking and the train's oversized shoulder harnesses contributing. It was quickly determined that much of the ride's track was misaligned, requiring significant modifications. It was also discovered that the coaster's trains seemed to be misengineered, with stress fractures and kind of things showing um, pretty early on that they were not taking the course properly. Knott's discovered another, more embarrassing flaw. Togo had designed and manufactured the attraction to complete the course, but only without any significant wind resistance. This resulted in a, the ride valleying and unable, and unable to complete the course with winds as low as 3 miles per hour, or 4.28 kilometers per hour. The wind literally jammed the ride. These mechanical issues resulted in significant downtime and, of course, significant costs to kind of modify and try to make the ride operational. And during this time, the capacity was often reduced, because most of the time only one side of Windjammer was operational. The same year that Windjammer opened, the Knotts family made the decision to sell the park to Cedar Fair Entertainment Company for $300 million. It is worth noting that this was prior to the Paramount Park's acquisition, and Cedar Fair was far from the theme park giant they are today. The new management immediately saw Windjammer as a problem. In 2000, Knott's Berry Farm filed a lawsuit against Togo, suing for $17 million in damages. The park seemed actively embarrassed by the attraction, with general manager Jack Falfus being quoted that, Windjammer is not a ride I want running in the park. While the legal proceedings continued, Togo International, which was the subsidiary located in Ohio, filed for bankruptcy in 2001. That same year, Knott's moved forward with demolishing Windjammer and constructing the groundbreaking Intimate Accelerator Coaster Accelerator, a 205-foot, 62-meter-tall coaster. 
2003, the jury would eventually reject Knott's lawsuit in favor of Togo International. It is unclear if this decision was motivated by Knott's quick replacement of the ride even before the lawsuit had concluded. The damage was done, however. Togo not only ceased manufacture and sales of rides in North America, but downsized considerably in Japan, with their last roller coaster built there in 2001. And with that, the world lost the first Asian coaster manufacturer to gain international recognition. The undisputable failure of Windjammer represents an important turning point in Knott's Berry Farm's history. Its concept represented the ideas of family-friendly thrills that the Knott's family management had thought was the core of their business. Cedar Fair's large-scale addition, starting with the 1999 wooden coaster Ghost Rider, took the park in a significantly thrill direction. It's possible that Cedar Fair actually overcorrected, and over the past 10 years, Cedar Fair management has done significant work to fill in the park's family offerings and the park's theming. The 2013 Mac Wildmouse Coast Rider, Coast, Coast Rider seems to live as a spiritual successor to the ill-fated Windjammer, replacing one of Cedar Fair's ambitious thrill editions, the record-breaking Perilous Plunge, a shoot-the-shoots ride, with a family-friendly and mid-sized coaster. Windjammer remains one of the oddest pieces of coaster history, and continues to raise the question of what makes a successful signature coaster for a park. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this mini-episode, please leave a comment or a rating wherever you are listening. This series is a companion to a series of articles that are being released on thecoasterkings.com. You can find interesting articles, exclusive updates, and a range of theme park-related merchandise at thecoasterkings.com. For Coaster Kings Radio, this is Ian O'Donnell. After four weeks in Southern California, next week it'll be time to take a drive back up I-5 to Santa Clara. Next week's subject is a production model that proved far less successful than the coaster that inspired it. Join me as we discuss Paramount's Great America's ambitious move to become the first park with two inverted coasters, less than 10 years after the concept was introduced. Join me next week for Part 8 of Lost Coasters of California in Vertigo.